Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? We are going to take a break from our regularly scheduled programming of the Genesis prescription to bring you an update on my carnivorous dietary experiment. I wanted to circle back and fill you in on what I did and how it went. And I thought this would be a good week to do it because we're moving into a holiday week. Um, If you're listening to this in real time, we're going to be kind of moving into that 4th of July week. And I thought you might be too occupied with travel or celebration plans to work on your Genesis prescription goal. And the next one is really important. I mean, they're all important, but... But I don't want you to miss out on the next one. So I thought we'd take a break, let you enjoy your holiday, and then pick things up next week. It's also perfect timing for me to do this because it's sandwiched right in between last week's Genesis prescription goal, which was all about plants, and next week's goal, which is all about animal foods. And here we are right in between the plant and animal kingdoms which is the perfect place and time to talk about my carnivorous experiment. So I'll recap a little about why I did it, how I went about it, and what the results were, including what my blood test revealed, which, spoiler alert, was not exactly what I was hoping for. Okay, so the reason I did it, you might remember that I was blindsided um, by the results of my blood test earlier this year, which showed I have Hashimoto's which is an autoimmune thyroid condition. I don't suffer from any of the most common and life-disrupting symptoms of it, like weight gain, exhaustion, brain fog, you know that triple F threat, fat, fatigued, and foggy. Um, I don't have hair loss. I don't have anything like that. Now, I do have some of the quieter symptoms, um, like dry skin, and sometimes I'm a little extra cold, not all the time, but sometimes I am. Um, and I am more prone to constipation than your average gal, you know, that we, we've talked about that a lot here. But, um, you know, I've, I've overcome a lot of that. And um, none of these things are affecting my quality of life, okay, um, like Hashimoto's does for a lot of women. But that doesn't mean I can ignore that my immune system has gone a little cuckoo-cachoo because it can turn into something, um, you know, turn into more severe issues um, or mo- more autoimmune conditions down the road. And that's one thing I, I want to point out here, actually a few things. My thyroid numbers on my original blood test um, looked, they really looked okay by a standard lab, you know, um, range. No doctor would have been like, oh, you have a thyroid problem. And most standard lab panels do not include the thyroid antibody test. And so had I had a regular thyroid lab panel done with just a few of the markers, which is the common way or the common test, um, and no antibody test, there would be no indication that I had this fire brewing underneath the surface, Um, which sometimes I wish I didn't know, but (laughs) 
We've got to know these things. Um, most standard blood labs only include TSH and T4. And that's not really enough to give us the whole picture about your thyroid. So the blood lab that I um, did um, is the one that I was trained and authorized to order for my clients. And it is much more robust, has all the thyroid markers that you'd want, including whether or not you have the antibodies present. So again, my, my thyroid numbers were not, you know, crazy out of range by your typical lab standard, but they were a little out of functional lab range. And that is the optimal lab range, you know, that we want to look at. Um, plus, it did show that one of my, uh, I had one of the thyroid antibodies elevated. There are two thyroid antibodies. There's thyroid peroxidase antibody, which is TPO, and thyroglobulin antibody, which is TGAB. If you are elevated in one or both, it is an indication of autoimmune thyroid condition where, you know, your immune system is considered to be attacking your thyroid. So my TGAB was at 153 in my first blood test. Um, the conventional treatment, you know, when somebody has their thyroid is off, um, is to prescribe thyroid hormone, you know, but that's not addressing the root cause of the immune system attacking the thyroid if you have the um, autoimmune component. Um, you know, doctors will address the thyroid, but not the immune system. And that's a problem because your immune system will go on attacking your thyroid and it can just be an uphill battle as you age and try to manage it. Like I said earlier, most blood tests do not include the thyroid antibody test. So in many, many cases, doctors don't even know that you have that autoimmune component to it and that it's the root cause of the thyroid problem because they don't test for it. And so, you know, again, they're treating the thyroid but not the immune system. Um, and, and the immune system is really kind of tricky to deal with because there are lots of reasons it can go a little nutso. I mean, diet plays a big role, gut issues play a big role. And so one of the best things that we can do is to support the body with a therapeutic diet and work on gut health. So if you remember from the podcast I did called Reasons to Use a Therapeutic Animal-Based Diet, you'll remember that what a lot of these therapeutic diets have in common is removing plant foods. As crazy and counterintuitive as it sounds, there are compounds in plant foods, mostly concentrated in their roots, stems, leaves, and seeds, that can cause internal damage and inflammation in the body. I went into a lot of detail on that podcast, so listen to it if you have not yet. But just kind of to quickly do just a quick little recap, you know, that plants do not want you to eat them. They want to protect their seeds so that they can re reproduce and proliferate. Um, they have compounds like lectins, phytates, oxalates, salicylates, all kinds of things that act kind of like their chemical weaponry to predators that eat them. And it can just manifest in so many ways for people. It can mess up your gut. It can cause brain fog. It can cause pain in your joints, you know, and all of it can trigger your immune system. Um, all kinds of things um, can go wrong to deter you from eating them, okay? They, they want it to go in and mess you up so you won't eat them. But of course, you know, we don't connect the dots and realize that it's the plant food that's causing the problem and like waging this biological warfare on us. You know, it's hard to believe something like your sweet baby spinach leaves could be causing your kidney stones or, you know, a, a bigger problem. And as we age, you know, it's the accumulation of these compounds 
paired with a lowered immune system, maybe due to, you know, stress or all the processed food or environmental chemicals that we, you know, come into contact with every day. And it can just kind of create the perfect storm of um, inflammation and the, uh, you know, opportunity for um, autoimmune condition to manifest. Uh, what's kind of fascinating, though, that, that I did mention in that podcast is that the plant doesn't necessarily mind if you eat the fruit, because the fruit's kind of the the final product. It's really the part of the the uh, the plant that they want you to eat. You know, it's the finished product that the, they want the animals and humans to, you know, eat the flesh of the fruit and then disperse the seed. You know, so the, those seeds are packaged up, you know, all finished in these beautiful, colorful, tasty packages, you know, like the fruit that we see. And they're meant to attract your eye and your appetite in exchange from, for some nutrition and deliciousness. You help spread the seed. When we're talking about the toxicity spectrum of plants, like I said, the most problematic compounds are likely to be concentrated in leaves, stems, roots, and seeds. Those are all parts of the plant kind of still in the growth process. They're not done. Done. The seeds are still highly defended with this kind of strong presence of, you know, weaponry that um, these compounds that the, the plants use. They want to deter predators like animals and humans from interrupting the process. So this is where you can run into problems if your body is vulnerable or susceptible. So considering that fruit is generally lower on the lower end of the toxic toxicity spectrum, it can be part of a carnivorous diet. Okay, it's not ideal. The hardcore carnivores are not eating plants at all. You know, for people who are really sick or really trying to overcome something, they're sticking to meat. Okay, but there are different tiers to a carnivore diet. You know, you have your top tier, basically meat, beef, salt and water, that's it. You have more of a mid-level range that includes eggs, dairy, pork, um, you know, some other animal foods. And then you have the more relaxed tier that includes some low toxicity fruits and especially the non-sweet fruits like cucumber, olives, avocados, and squash. A lot of people don't realize those are, con those are fruits, yeah, but they are, and they're low in natural sugar. You can also have regular fruit on the carnivorous diet. But again, all of these are supposed to be, you know, kept to a minimum. And when I say carnivorous, um, you know, you could also exchange that word for animal based. So more animal, um, more animal than plant. I went off the guideline recommendations of Dr. Paul Saladino, known as the carnivore MD. You know, he has a book called The Carnivore Code with these different tiers of doing carnivore, and he goes really deep into the science. Um, but he puts a lot of good infographics out on social media that show you what to eat if you're, you know, going for more of this carnivorous um, animal-based approach. He actually used to be more of a, a hardcore carny, um, but he noticed that he wasn't achieving optimal strength. Um, and so he started adding in a few of the lower toxicity plants back into his diet, very few. Um, he actually says how he tried squash and that made his eczema come flaring back, which I think is so interesting. You know, a lot of people who go carnivore um, or even carnivore-ish see amazing turnarounds in their skin health. I definitely noticed mine was more clear and even um, so even within the low toxicity fruits, 
that may be part of, you know, this carnivorous diet, you still have to test and try and see what works for you, you know, because like the squash didn't work for Dr. Saladino, but he's very big on um, honey. He pre pretty much uses honey as his carb. Um, and honey is an animal food. We don't really think of that, but it is those little sweet bees making the honey. Um, but anyway, he found that really works for him. Um, also kind of interesting with the skin health, a lot of people, because um, we just talked about this recently as part of the, the Genesis prescription um, goal with sunshine and how diet can influence um, how well you tolerate it. Uh, sunshine, a lot of people who go carnivore notice that they can tolerate more sun exposure. So that's kind of interesting as well. Um, what appealed to me about the carnivorous diet is that it's just really straightforward. You know, it cuts to the chase with the focus being on meat. You know, yes, you know, you can add in the fruits we mentioned, and you might have to play around with works, you know, with what works. But for the most part, it's very simple. You know, it's just very, there's not a lot of foods included on it. It's simple to wrap your mind around, maybe not so simple to implement. Um, but none of these therapeutic diets really are. I mean, all dietary changes are challenging, right? I mean, any of them, whether you're doing a sugar detox or just anything, they're all, they're all challenging. I could have chosen the autoimmune protocol, um, which is kind of the go-to when it comes to an autoimmune condition and trying to work with a therapeutic diet. Um, and it actually has more food options than going, you know, carnivore or carnivorous. But it just, for whatever reason, it just sounded more complicated to me. You know, uh, even though more foods would have been available to me in some plant foods. You know, with the carnivorous, you just have this primary focus. It's like eat meat. You know, that is the focus. And it just takes a lot of the decision fatigue and negotiation away. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's just how it works in my brain. You know, it just seemed simpler. And the other main reason I chose it over um, AIP, the autoimmune protocol, is that there are a lot of dessert type concoctions that you can make with AIP ingredients, you know, which there's always these kind of loopholes and, um, but, you know, it, it seems like, like with all of these therapeutic diets, you know, keto, paleo, AIP, um, SCD, there, there inevitably ends up being a branch of desserts, you know, or bready things that you can kind of quote unquote legally make from within the parameters of what is permitted on the diet. And that's fine. I mean, it's human nature, it's human ingenuity, and it's a blessing for people who need to be on these, um, these diets more long term to have options like that. I'm not at all against that. But I know myself, and I know that's where my head would go. Like, what can I get away with and still be on this diet? <laughs> Like if I was doing AIP, I would be like, what kind of delicious pancakes or bread can I make with, you know, cassava flour or plantains or whatever? That's what I tend to do, you know, but with carnivore, the whole spirit and focus of it is meat. And you just go into it with a different mindset. Uh, you know, like my goal is to eat as much meat as possible with as few of these plant foods as possible. So it just shuts down a lot of that negotiation and chatter in your brain about what you can get away with. I mean, not totally like in the beginning I think I mentioned this on another podcast I mean I was already trying to figure out what I could could concoct like within the first week and I made these um I used um cacao butter and honey and I made these like just I call them like little candies I just I you know kind of melted it together and, and put them in these little molds and then I ate them and, and they were they were okay um 
not that great. I didn't make them again. And, and anyway, and then that didn't last. So anyway, uh, it was like just kind of the, the first week freak out. And I did that. But then um, I got over it. And I, I think carnivore is still new enough, you know, new, quote unquote, um, that there hasn't been this like big dessert branch pop up yet. Although I saw a few things to start popping up in the carnivore Facebook group um, that I'm in. One of them was cookies made with pork rinds. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> uh, not appealing. And so I can't, you know, I think it's going to be pretty limited um, with how far a dessert branch of that could go with the ingredients um, uh, within the boundaries of carnivore. I'm sure somebody will figure something out. But like I said, it's kind of different. It just kind of goes against the whole point and spirit of doing carnivore. And so you just don't see as much of that as you do within these other therapeutic diets where people are just kind of like, oh my gosh, what can I, you know, what can I make and, and what can we do and how can we concoct these? And that just kind of becomes its own, um, its own beast, you know, and its own focus. And you just don't get that as much in the carnivore community. It's like, how many ways can we eat meat? The whole focus is just so different. I needed and really wanted those tighter boundaries for this experiment. Um, and plus, like I said, I mean, you can have honey um, and you can even have dates, uh, which I, you know, even though those were allowed, I surprisingly didn't even eat those as much as I thought I would. Um, okay, but, you know, even though I wanted to keep the boundaries somewhat tight, I didn't want them so tight that I wasn't having carbs. You know, I, I didn't... I. I didn't want to ruin my metabolic flexibility <laughs> because that is really important to me. Um, I wanted to maintain my metabolic flexibility. I knew this would be a short-term experiment. I ended up doing it for about six weeks. And I didn't want to be so extreme that I trained my body right out of being able to handle carbs. You know, I mean, like I said, for people who are really trying to overcome major health issues, eating only meat for a while uh, may be necessary. It may be the thing that they need to do. But I just didn't feel like that was necessary for me. Now, the problem was uh, I was a little too ish on my carnivore-ish. <laughs> I really did eat too many carbs, which really, you know, equates to too many plant foods um, in relation to meat. It's recommended to have at least 80% of your foods be animal-based. And then, you know, if you want to make up that other 20% with plant foods, you can do that. Um, I, I want to say also here that I, um, I gave up both eggs and dairy also, which is permitted on kind of that, you know, middle tier of carnivore, um, you can have eggs and dairy. And so I did not eat those. Um, because they are huge, um, common allergens. And so uh, those are ones I needed to take out, especially, you know, with trying to kind of figure out autoimmune conditions, I had never given up eggs before. Um, and this was actually the longest I had ever given up full dairy. Um, also, I'll mention that even though pork and chicken are within the boundaries of a carnivorous, you know, this kind of middle tier carnivorous diet, I kept those to a minimum. I may have had bacon once, and I only had chicken a handful of times over the six weeks. When we think of a true carnivore diet, it's red meat, you know, whether that's beef or wild game like elk or deer. And it's ruminant meat, actually. You know, I've only heard a few people, uh, carnivore people refer to it that way, but that's what it is. It's ruminant meats. And um, it's biblical. You know, do you remember how I talked about ruminant animals and should we eat pork and shellfish in that podcast? We're going to talk about it more next week when we're, you know, our Genesis prescription goal is all about animal foods. 
but it's the ruminant meats that are considered more nutrient dense and healing in the carnivore community. Uh, you can also have fish, which I did have. I had cod, salmon, and sardines. Boy, y'all, though, with my sardines, because I always eat my sardines with um, pesto and Mary's Gone Crackers. And so it was kind of tough to get those down without my <laughs> pesto and crackers. I ate it with um, cucumber slices, and it just quite did not, you know, do it for me. Um, but anyway, mostly I ate beef, okay, for my, uh, my meat source. And you know, it helps that I'm married to a grass fed cattle rancher. Um, but, you know, I ate, I really ate too much ground beef, because it's easy, and we have a lot of it, and we sell out of our steaks really quickly. You'll see a lot of carnivore people eating steaks, and specifically fattier steaks like a ribeye, because you need to maintain a healthy presence of fat in relation to protein. You know, remember that our bodies use fat and carbs for fuel, right? And so especially for people who are not eating carbs at all, or, you know, in keeping plant foods to a, a serious minimum, you, you need to get enough animal-based fat for the body to use as energy. Um, now, like I said, I was getting plenty of carbs. I mean, too many, really, for carnivore. I was two-ish. And I never counted because you know me. Um, but I know for sure there were some days I was, you know, hitting between 75 and 100 grams. I just know that because I'm my, I can eye my carbs pretty well. Um, so, you know, that's even higher than sometimes I'm doing in Feast to Fast. So, um, you know, perhaps if I had been eating more fatty cuts of meat, I wouldn't have gravitated to the carbs quite so much. Um, I tried to, and I did, I ate a lot of rib meat and chuck roast, um, which are really yummy and tasty. And um, they do have more fat with those. And I was purposely eating the fat. Like some people try to carve that off. Not me, girl. I was like globbing on there. Like, take, let me take it on down. But still overall, I don't think I managed that pre uh, protein to fat ratio very well. Also when doing carnivore, well, really... We should all be doing this, but including organ meats is important for getting a more full spectrum of nutrients. So organ, organ meats are just incredibly nutrient dense. And like I've mentioned here several times, liver is like nature's multivitamin. And we use desiccated liver capsules as a multivitamin, multivitamin in my house. Um, that's what we use. So yeah, of course, it would be better to eat the liver. Um, we also sell out of our liver a lot. You know, a lot of people get it because they want to eat it, but a lot of people buy it for their dogs. <laughs> but anyway, I did try to cook it. Gosh, I don't know how long it's been now, three or four months ago. And I, mm -mm, I just could, I could not choke it down, you know. Um, and, you know, I've prepared heart before, um, which I like and my family will even eat. And they, my kids didn't even, you know, skip a beat. But that's because I always prepare it with barbecue sauce. You know, I kind of smother it in barbecue sauce and then it's tasty, but that's not really a, a, a carnivore thing to do. So I didn't even try to make heart. Um, but anyway, what I did do was order um, a, an organ supplement um, with Dr. Saladino's company, Heart and Soil. And I got the gut and digestion blend, which is a combo of several organs, including stomach, intestines, pancreas, liver, and spleen. Because I sure as heck don't see myself eating spleen <laughs> or pancreas. There are some brave souls that do. God bless them. Um, but, you know, the 
but I do like the idea of getting that variety. And so you can get that when you order these different supplements, you know, aside from just getting the liver. Um, and so, so I ordered that. And I specifically wanted that combo to help support digestion. Okay, because it's no small thing to trans transition into a super meat heavy diet. Um, even though, you know, I was still getting quite a few carbs, you know, make no mistake, I was eating meat like it was my job, like my job. I mean, and sometimes it just felt so, so bizarre. I remember one, like one of the first mornings, I just I had a huge plate of ribs for breakfast. And I was like, am I really doing this? <laughs> this is so weird. <laughs> and I'm, I'm avoiding plant foods. This just feels so backwards and wrong. You know, I questioned myself so much along the way, which I, I shared with you when I um, did my recap about Jesus camp, you know, when I was at Jesus camp in Nantucket and all my Jesus camp sisters were eating all these, you know, beautiful salads and, you know, Brussels sprouts and all of this yummy stuff. And I'm like, I'm out of my mind. This is just, what am I doing? Um, you know, so there was that. That was tough. And I think the other hardest part, um, which I also talked about, was just really the lack of variety. I mean, I included more variety than many people do who do a carnivore diet, probably most. Um, but still, it was very, very limited. And there were some days I was just kind of sad about it. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I like all the food that I was eating. I mean, I love beef. It's not like I didn't enjoy my food, like enjoy what I was eating. But there were days I would just kind of stare in the fridge longing for something different, which just sounds so pitiful. Um, but what was so interesting, you know, is that many times I found myself craving something to eat. You know, it wasn't because I was hungry. It's because I just wanted something. I just wanted something different. And I was like, I can't have anything different. And so I just walk away from the fridge, <laughs> which, you know what, it showed me uh, that I wasn't really hungry. You know, I'd kind of go to the fridge like, I'm hungry, I want something to eat. And I would just see like all that meat. And I'm like, man, I want to eat it. So I just walk away. But if I was truly hungry, I would eat. And when I was hungry, I did eat. Um, but what I wanted was just a different party in my mouth, you know. So this experiment really showed me how often I I do that, you know, and how I eat, you know, due to boredom or cravings and not necessarily for true hunger, you know, as we know, the relationship we have with food starts in our minds, not in our mouth. And even though I was well fed, eating foods that I liked, I wanted something different for the sake of something having, you know, the sake of having something different. So this experiment took me to a whole new level of mind management and discipline. And that alone was well worth the whole experience. I have never, uh, you know, I've never done anything quite so restricted like that. And um, it took a lot of uh, self-coaching. Um, you know, just last week, you know, in last week's podcast, what we were just talking about how limited food variety was the norm historically, you know, and I mean, the foods that I was eating and had on rotation was still more variety than many, many people have in the world today, or would have had historically. So when I would kind of feel start feeling sorry for myself, you know, for my lack of variety, I just kind of slapped my spooled self upside the head with perspective. And also kept telling myself, you know, I chose this, I chose this, this is what I want to be doing, I chose this. But whenever also when I would kind of start feeling my resolve falter, 
I would go listen to podcasts related to, you know, carnivore or animal based diet to kind of shore up my resolve, you know, kind of pump me up. Um, and, and they're so inspiring. There are so many people for whom this dietary, you know, way of eating has just been a, a lifesaver for autoimmune conditions, you know, skin conditions, weight issues. And, you know, a lot of people just use it to get rid of sugar cravings. I mean, and that, y'all, that is a legit benefit. It did stop the sweet cravings in a way like I've never experienced. Even though I was craving something different, honestly, it wasn't for sweets. It was like for lettuce. (laughs) It's just sad. I just wanted lettuce. But I have never in my life thought about sweets less than I did when I was doing this uh, carnivorous experiment. Now, like I said, I did have honey here and there and some dates. So it wasn't like I wasn't eating sugar at all. But honestly, the times I was eating those is just because I wanted some variety and because it was within those about ba- the food list boundaries. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm tired of cucumbers, I'm tired of olives, I'm tired of avocados. Um, what else can I have? You know, I'll have a date. Um, and I did enjoy the sweet taste, but I could, I really kept it limited. You know, I might have a little teaspoon of honey or maybe one or two dates and be good. You know, like that's, I, I didn't need any more than that. I just, and I didn't do it very much. I didn't, it's like I did it every day or anything like that. Mostly if I wanted um, something sweet and again, I wasn't craving sweets, but really for something different. Um, but in, in, in visually and mentally to kind of feel like, uh, you know, the variety and like I was getting something sweet, I would have fruit with unsweetened coconut, coconut um, whipped cream that I made myself. You might have seen on uh, social media, I got me one of those contraptions that makes whipped cream, makes it pretty easy. And you just, I would just pour one of my boxes of Aroy D coconut milk in there, you know, just plain coconut milk. There's no added sugar. I didn't add any kind of sugar. And, um, and then I could just make me some coconut whip on top of fruit. And that felt like a nice change. Um, so I did do that. You know, I just, I also just missed the different textures of food. You know, meat is just, you know, like dense, right? You have this kind of dense meat and then you have fruit, which is kind of soft and mushy. And I just missed the crunchy and crispy cucumbers gave me a little bit of that, but again, I just wanted something different. Um, but I'll tell you, even though I've transitioned out of carnivore and had more carbs and even had ice cream several times now, um, since then, I mean, I've been on vacation to Taos and everything. Um, I still haven't been craving sweets like I used to. Now that can certainly change, but it hasn't yet. You know, I've had no desire for some of my sweeter heck yeah's like, um, cookies and cake, like the, like the bready heck yeah's. Now I, I have wanted bread and I have had bread, but, um, to me, it's just kind of amazing. Like I, even my, you know, my son had a birthday cake and even though it was kind of obnoxious, I didn't want any of it. But anyway, I've had a lot of chances to eat cookies and things like that. And I haven't, but speaking of heck yeah's, what I didn't do, which is also not ideal. And it was a little bit too ish is that I did not give up coffee or wine. Now I didn't drink a lot of wine, like at all, you know, really, really, really just reduce that and didn't drink, didn't drink very much of it. But I would have a, a, you know, a glass or two here and there. But I did drink coffee every day. And that is not a very 
autoimmune protocolish thing to do or carnivore or carnivorous for that matter. A lot of carnivore people do keep coffee in, they don't take it out. And a lot of them actually drink some wine as well. And they, they are, they still see, you know, benefit from it. But, you know, if we're trying to be like a true carnivore, those would not be um, permitted. But with everything else that I, these self-imposed limitations, you know, with the no eggs and the no dairy and and really trying to stick to the ruminant meats. And um, I just honestly, I I couldn't bear to give up the coffee. It was kind of like, if I have to give up that too, I don't, I'm not sure I can do this thing. I'm still mostly drinking my reishi mushroom coffee and reishi is really good for the immune system. So it's kind of justifying it to myself in that way. Um, But coffee can definitely be an immune system trigger. So Um, you know, that is something to keep in mind and maybe a place I did not optimize this experiment. A few more big things to tell you, and then I'll share what my blood test showed. Um, I did weigh myself throughout this experiment because I was curious and it's an easy marker to track and I figured you'd be interested. Um, I did not in any way do this for a weight loss. I do not need to lose weight, but I did shift down a few pounds So you remember, I'd already kind of shifted down a little bit after my cell core gut protocol. And then with this, I shifted down even more to like a number. I I don't, what? (laughs) I don't even know when I've ever seen it. Like, I guess high school, maybe I weighed that for like, I don't know, a hot second. Um, I don't know. But no time in my adult life. That is for sure. Um, So I kept getting on the scale. I was like, is this a fluke? Like maybe I just had a little temporary dip, dip in weight, you know, um, but no, you know, I stayed at that low number pretty consistently. And I mean, I would literally get off the scale and mumble, this is ridiculous. <laughs> just, you know, ridiculous. Like I can't believe my body can still get this low and I'm eating like all of this meat, you know, as much meat as I possibly can. It was just, it was just kind of a, a shocker. Um, you know, honestly, in the beginning, I'm not sure I was getting enough calories. Um, I actually did track one day on my fitness pal to kind of see where I was. And I was um, kind of low in calories. But the thing is, I wasn't hungry. You know, I, I just wasn't hungry. You know, remember that protein is the most filling and satiating macronutrient. And so especially in the beginning when overloading on protein, you know, when that was kind of new to my body, like just this deluge of protein, I just, I wasn't as hungry. Now that all evened out, you know, I think, I mean, I I literally tracked for one day and I'm like, oh, I'm so over this. (laughs) Although we're about to do our track your max challenge in the Christian health club. We do that once a year. That's about all I can take. Um, and it's going to be a challenge for me. But anyway, I'm going to do it. Um, I think it's valuable to do it and check in with yourself every once in a while. Um, but I feel like my, my calorie load did even out and get back to normal. But seriously, if weight loss is a goal, up your protein. And again, we'll be talking about this and kind of reinforcing this whole protein, animal-based protein situation next week. So let's talk some more about a few of the challenges I had. One of the most frequent questions that I got was, um, do you still poop after you eat all that meat? (laughs) How can you poop with no fiber? Um, well, I will say I was getting fiber from fruit. Okay. So there was that. And I was doing okay in the beginning with, uh, the poop stitch, but then I had this weird shift 
that seemed to coincide with my cycle. Like I had my period and then it seemed like after that I couldn't poop as well and it was very weird. But it could have also been that I had a lot of stress kick in around that same time, which didn't ever let up. And I think it impacted a lot of things, um, including my colon. But here's, you know, here's what was just weird. For the most part, my gut felt great um, on this diet, as in I didn't feel bloated. My belly felt leaned out, you know, if that makes sense. I didn't feel digestively sluggish or bloated after I ate. Unless maybe I had um, a lot of sweet fruit too close to the time I had a lot of meat. You know, this is one of those food combining rules that um, that's good to keep in mind, especially if you have digestive issues. Fruit digests pretty quickly, but meat does not because it's so dense. And when you eat them together or too close together, um, you know, or too much, like too much fruit with meat, that meat can slow down the fruit digestion and make, make it hang out in your gut too long and, you know, and cause bloating, burping, gas, um, all of those lovely things. Have you ever heard that saying about melon? It's like, eat it alone or leave it alone. Well, there were a few times I would eat my meaty meal and then um, have cantaloupe not long after that. And in some cases like that, I would feel bloaty. But as long as I didn't overdo a lot of fruit with the meat, I was okay. So I was going along okay for a while, but then I I wasn't pooping well. Um, Now, and, and that, you know, and so it, it was like, then I started feeling bloated from the not poop, from not pooping. Okay. And there's kind of a difference, right? It was like feeling bloated after you eat versus feeling, you know, having like too much poop in your gut. Sorry. Y'all know how I am. <laughs> okay. One thing about carnivore and pooping is that you have to kind of go into it knowing that your poops are going to generally be smaller and have less bulk to them. Because when you take out all that plant refuge from your diet, you're just going to have less to poop out. Um, The carnivore diet is known as like a low residue diet, which means that your body uses so much from the food you're consuming. You know, the meat is so nutrient dense and your body uptakes so much nutrition and the amino acids and everything. There's not a lot of waste left over like there is with plant foods and all of that fiber that we're not designed to digest, but to poop out. So you kind of have to go into it knowing that your poop is going to be a different experience. Okay. Um, Like I said, you know, things were going well for me at first, but then they weren't. And that was super frustrated, frustrating. I wasn't necessarily feeling bloated when I ate, but then I started feeling bloated from all, you know, just the um, poop not coming out. Looking back, I would have done things differently. I would have started out with more full spectrum digestive support from the beginning in order to help my body with this, you know, huge increase in meat consumption. Like I mentioned earlier, I was on that organ supplement, which, um, which, you know, targeted digestive support. And I was hoping that would be enough. Um, And, you know, like I said, it was fine for a while. But what I should have done was have hydrozyme on hand. That's stomach acid supplement that I use, and which I normally do keep in my my cabinet um, for times that I might need extra support. 
especially like on vacation or holidays or something like that. But Biotics was out for a while. Biotics is one of the supplement companies I really like. And they've been out of a lot of things, a lot of my digestive go-tos that I recommend for people like Hydrozyme and Beta TCP um, for the liver gallbladder. So I didn't have either one of those. I was out of my Tutka, which is the cell core liver bile support, which I love. And I just kind of jumped into this whole experiment without really just maybe properly having, you know, digestive support ready, which is stupid. And I know better. And if I was working with a client who wanted to significantly raise protein or fat, I would put these things in place to make sure the experience was more successful. You know, so many people are deficient in stomach acid, which is super critical for breaking down your food, but especially breaking down your protein. A lot of people think they have too much stomach acid because they have heartburn or reflux, but that's not typically the case. It's actually either a deficiency or a misfire of timing. And the unfortunate thing is people don't know this. And instead of working on the root cause, they take acid blockers, you know, which prevents the body from having enough acid to break down your food, especially protein and being able to utilize your nutrients. Um, There's a self-test I walk clients through called the HCL loading test, where you can test your body to see if it needs stomach acid and how much. It's so cool because your body will tell you whether or not you need it. You you get feedback from your body. And like I said, you know, so many people are unknowingly deficient. And there are many, many things that can degrade your stomach acid production. And stress is one of many. And I think for me, what happened was I got hit with a wallop of stress in the spring Um, that I think made my digestion come to a screeching halt. I mean, man, there were a lot of bumps (laughs) in my normally pretty unbumpy life. I mean, we all have our kind of regular daily stressors, you know, and I I have that going on. Uh, You know, three kids and work and all these, you know, sports schedules and all this stuff. But (laughs) y'all, I can't remember a time that I've ever felt so stressed. Um... Let's just say that my husband and I are at that age, and maybe some of you can relate, where it's called like, I've seen it called like the sandwich age, where you're sandwiched between raising kids and helping, um, you know, aging parents. And we had some things on both sides just kind of come crushingly at us in the last three to four months. Um, I'll just remind you that I have preteen and teenager. Um, But you know, it just, it kind of broke me (laughs) in a lot of ways. And um, I think it broke my digestive system. And I think it, um, you know, and I think that played a huge role also in not seeing the numbers I quite hoped on my blood test, which we will, um, we're going to get to it, talk about in a minute. But um, I want to, I want to finish up on digestion here, because it's so critical. So what I would have done differently was have that digestive and drainage support ready to start from the get-go. You know, um, even though things were going fine, I just think that is a would be a really smart thing to do if anybody, anybody out there is thinking about trying carnivore or um, even just significantly adding a lot of protein. I finally did pull everything together um, that I needed, um, which got things back to normal. But I wish I hadn't waited so long um, because there were some days I was pretty constipated and miserable, you know. Um... I would definitely have a stomach acid supplement, digestive enzymes, bile support, and something like Cellcore's bowel mover or even um, Trifala 
on hand in case you need to help, you know, moving your bowels. Um, the time to have that is be- preventively or, you know, proactively, proactively, not preventively, proactively, because, um, you know, you can run up to the store. Well, you, you most of you people probably who live in a city could run up to the store and get um, Trifala. Um, but, you know, I could not. So anyway, I would have all those things on hand. But things, you know, I got things uh, straightened out. Okay, now let me share what my blood test results were. Very interesting. Um, the The results did reflect exactly what we just talked about, which is that I did not have, um, likely did not have <laughs> sufficient stomach acid to support protein utilization. Even though I was eating more protein, my total protein number was down a little bit. My alkaline phos went down. My bun, my blood urea nitrogen went up a little. My MCV um, went up. And so when I kind of look at the pattern of some of these markers, um, it indicates that I didn't optimally break down my food well, okay, which um, I didn't need the blood test to tell you. (laughs) But that uh, just kind of confirmed it. And had I had those digestive supports in place from the beginning and throughout, um, it definitely would have helped. Now, my cholesterol numbers pretty much stayed the same. I mean, they just kind of stayed neutral. So even though I was eating all of that meat and, you know, on an animal-based diet, it did not make my cholesterol shoot up, you know, which we are often told that's what will happen, and that is wrong-o. My iron numbers improved, Um, They, which is kind of interesting. They were a little high, but then um, they came back into a normal range. Um, I was really happy to see my homocysteine uh, number improve. So you might remember from the pod- podcast I did called A Functional Approach to Understanding Key Cardio Lab Mark Numbers. Why did I name a podcast such a long name? I don't know. Um, anyway, we were talking about, um, you know, cardio lab marker- markers that you might see on your blood test and kind of what you need to look for. But anyway, I talked about how homocysteine um, being ho- my homocysteine being high. And that's of concern because it is an inflammatory marker. It increases your risk of cardiovascular problems. Um, and when it is high, we associate that with a B vitamin deficiency and possibly an MTHFR gene mutation that prevents proper methylation. And so typically your, your go-to with that is to get methylated B vitamins. If you remember from that podcast, I really wanted to experiment with consistently taking the liver pills to kind of up that um, instead and see if it moved that marker. And so uh, my homocysteine went from a 9.8 to a 7.2. We wanted about a 7 or below. So I'm, I'm really close there and I'm really pleased with that improvement. I also saw um, some improvement in some of my immune markers. So that's kind of interesting. And my monocytes and my basophils, which were high, came into normal range. So that was good. Now, unfortunately, and this is the the number uh, marker I was most looking forward to seeing, um, was the antibody number to see how that did. And unfortunately, it increased. In fact, it increased by 100 points and went from like 153 to 252. And oh man, homie, (laughs) I was so disappointed and deflated when I saw that. That was obviously not what I was hoping for. You know, um, was it because of the diet? Very well could be. Was it because of the unusual amount of stress I was under? Very well could be, you know, or a combination. You know, this, like I said, this stuff is so 
tricky. Now, I want to address a good point that my friend Aaron brought to my attention. We all need a good friend that, you know, brings these things to your attention. She texted me and she's like, um, I'm listening to your podcast about um, your, your food sensitivity test. Remember when beef came up on that and now all you're eating is beef? I mean, what's up with that? <laughs> I'm like, oh, good question. And so I bet a lot of people are wondering the same. Um, so you might be wondering why I didn't start with the food sensitivity test in the first place to see what may be stirring up my immune system. That's certainly a route I could have gone. I may still go down that road. But here's what's up with that. Okay. First of all, those food sensitivity tests reflect what is stirring up your immune system in, in, at that time, in the moment. Okay. So with a leaky gut, you can kind of go in and out of food sensitivities. Okay. So you could take that test, the MRT. Um, like I said, none of these tests are perfect, right? I, I, I think the MRT is the best one. Um, but you could take it and then a month later, later, take it again, and it could show different things, you know, different food sensitivities. And so I know that makes it sound kind of hokey pokey. Um, but the body is constantly changing and shifting and getting stirred up by different things. And so we use that test to get the best information that we can in the moment in order to optimize a gut protocol. Okay, so the reason you get food sensitivities um, like that is because of a leaky gut that allows the food molecules into the bloodstream that shouldn't be there and gets your immune system all riled up. So we want to take those foods out while we work on the gut and to calm everything down, calm down, okay, and optimize the effectiveness of the gut protocol. It's fairly pointless to do a food sensitivity test unless you are simultaneously working on your gut. Don't waste your money on a food sensitivity test if you're not prepared to do a gut protocol um, when you remove those foods. Okay, a lot of people are like, I want to get that test. And uh, I'm like, I, they don't have any interest in the gut part. I'm like, okay. That's just a waste of money. Um, anyway, okay. So because I did my food sensitivity test two years ago and I've done several gut protocols, I wasn't worried about beef still being a problem. Doesn't mean that it wasn't. You know, maybe that is what made my antibody numbers go up. Hard to say for sure. Um, but, I, you know, like I said, I can say for sure that uh, my digestive system became compromised uh, due to all this stress in likely increased intestinal permeability and did make something I was eating, you know, get through and possibly, you know, alarm my immune system. But again, that starts with the gut, not with the food. So the reason I didn't start out with doing a food sensitivity test is, you know, one, I had just paid for the blood test and I knew that I was going to do and want to do a follow-up blood test. Y'all, I spent all my monies on classes, coaches, supplements and testing. Okay. <laughs> and as much as I'd like to, and I'm sure you'd like to, I mean, I can't keep cranking out dough on these tests. I mean, I would test myself in so many ways all the time. But, uh, you know, that adds up. And so I have to be kind of selective, right, in what I'm doing. And so I chose to do the follow up blood test instead. The other reason I didn't is that Many really good nutrition practitioners out there don't offer testing, okay? And they would start you with a therapeutic diet like AIP or maybe carnivore or GAPS or something. And that's what I did for many years 
before I was able to offer testing. NTPs are, in particular, are trained to support and optimize the digestive process. Um, And so they, you know, they would be able to help somebody go through a therapeutic diet, um, guide them through that and help them know how to support their digestion. Okay, that's and that's very effective. Um, And by the way, if you are looking for a Christian nutrition practitioner to work with, you can go to my website and look under the recommendations tab. There are three NTPs there that I highly recommend. And side note, if you are a nutrition professional who loves Jesus and is interested in being designated and referred out as a Christian nutritionist practitioner, you can go to my website to get more information on that. I am looking to build that team and resource for people that need um, help to find you, okay, that need help with their, um, this kind of stuff and help them find you to help them if you are a nutrition professional. Okay. So you would use one of these therapeutic diets to help reset the gut and also identify foods that are problematic. You know, we we use them as an elimination diet. Um, Also, you know, it kind of helps reset the gut, calm everything down. Uh, We've eliminated these foods. And then we're supposed to systematically add them back in, right? Okay, now here's another place I messed up, even though I know better. Y'all, I'm only human. I'm only human. Okay. I mess up all the time. Um, Okay, so as soon as I did the second blood test, you know, my follow-up blood test after about six weeks, um, I went and took my blood test. And then I'm like, I'm ready to start adding things back in. So I started with eggs because, man, was I ready for some eggs. And that was a biggie. And when you reintroduce eggs, you want to do the yolks and the whites separately. Most people don't have trouble with the yolk. That's where all the fat and the vitamins and minerals are. That's like your the main nutrition, which is why it makes me a crazy train when people throw away the yolks and keep the whites. I'm like, are you nuts? Um, anyway, but in most people, they have trouble with the whites, okay, because that's the protein. And so it's the protein that can really set, uh, set things off. So when you reintroduce the eggs, you want to do those separately. You want to make sure um, that you can tolerate both. So that's what I did. Um, you know, I introduce, introduced the yolks and then I waited about three days. That's what you want to do. You want to introduce one thing, wait about three days to make sure you're not having any issues with it. And you wait about three days, you know, sometimes people experience something acutely, you know, like maybe you get a rash or uh, something like that. Maybe sometimes you get a stuffy nose. This is what happened to me. I'll tell you in a minute. Or, you know, maybe you see like skin breakouts and, you know, that's going to take it's, it's going to take a little while for that to happen. You know, we say that the skin is like the last frontier of detoxification. So it, it t- takes a while to make its way out your skin. So you want to wait at least three days and see if you notice anything. Thank the Lord. I didn't see any problems with egg yolks or egg whites. Um, and so, you know, that took about a week or so to and reintroduce those and check that out. The next thing on my list was goat cheese. Okay, um, I wanted to reintroduce some dairy, but I wanted to start with A2 dairy because it's gentler on the digestive system. I want to just kind of see, uh, that was my intention, you know, best laid plans. But before I got through my three days of waiting, I got my blood test results back, these blood test results, showing how much my antibodies had increased. And I was 
so down about it. I was just so deflated and depressed. Plus, I was right in the middle of packing all the three kids for camp and like getting all the gluten-free food from Costco and like trying to get them organized and get their COVID test done and all this stuff. And I was just so like stressed out and and I just blew it all. I, did, I just like whatever. And I would just like, you know, kind of had a handful of chips here and a piece of bread there. And I just messed up the reintroduction process and and then as soon as you know also we dropped them off for camp and then um, Brian and I went to Taos and so it was like vacay mode what was interesting though is I started getting a tickly throat before we left you know um not pretty much not long after I reintroduced the goat cheese but then I had all you know these kind of other things so I don't know but I started getting a tickly throat that turned into a um a full-blown sore throat and just like stuffy nose sneezing that whole Ebenezer sneezer that was me <laughs> and I know it was from the food and my best friend was like do you think it was a maybe a you know environmental allergen could it be that I'm like I I just don't think so because we just went through a serious time of allergies here and I I made it through all that no problem and the second I go you know off with my diet and bring all these things back in I just literally was like total congestion and all of this stuff um but unfortunately because the way I went about it um I'm not sure what it was so that's unfortunate I still have a mucousy coating in the back of my throat that compels me to clear my throat a lot or swallow a lot and so I'm thinking it's dairy Eesh. I need to do a proper uh, elimination and reintroduction of that because that might be the problem here. I notice it. I notice it now. You know, that's one thing when you when you eliminate these foods, like you, you don't ever think that anything's bothering you and you don't really know until you take things out and then put them back in and then they become, you know, more noticeable and you can make those connections. Um, but so that's kind of where I, I am with that. Um, you know, and so before I decide kind of my next move, I'm just right now. I'm just kind of coming back to baseline, you know, with my regular way of eating, um, working on the Genesis prescription goals, just kind of, you know, really trying to um, just help my body and all of these foundations really well. And then I'm going to go from there. Okay. So um, that's kind of where I am. And woo, has a lot to tell you. Um <laughs> And overall, you know, even though my antibody numbers didn't improve, I don't at all regret this experiment. I mean, like I said, there are definitely some things I would do a little bit differently, but there was a lot of positive that came out of it. And um, I'm really glad I did it. I'm going to link, um, I will link to some of the things we talked about today in the show notes. And you can always go and check the show notes if you're wondering about supplements I talk about or, um, you know, old podcasts that you want to find the link to. Um, but I'm also going to link to uh, some of the podcasts that I listened to when I was trying to keep myself engaged and pumped up about eating all the meat. <laughs> so check some of those out, um, especially the one from Dr. Georgia Ede. She's a psychiatrist who discovered how how more meat and less plants improved brain health. And she lost 16 pounds in three months uh, during perimenopause. So that's kind of significant. There's a podcast with Dr. Gabrielle Lyon who discusses the importance of protein as we age. There's one with um, this 40-ish, 40, 40 40-plus 40 mom who I follow 
Um, I think, I think it's, uh, her social media handles faster after 40 or fast after 40 or something like that. And you think it's about fasting, but it's not. She, she started running sprints, um, after her forties, she runs sprints competitively and she eats a mostly carnivore diet. And she is just, I mean, frankly, she's just got a rocking body. Um, there's another podcast that gives a good unbiased overview of most of the frequently asked questions regarding nutrients and, and fiber, you know, this whole, all these questions, like what about vitamin C and all that stuff if you're eating a low plant diet. So that's kind of a good resource. These would all be good to listen to anyway, because like I said, next week we're moving into our Genesis prescription goal, which is to get more animal-based protein. And so that will kind of gear your mind up and pump you up about doing that. So if you have time this week, um, take a listen to some of those. All right, my friend. Um, wow, that was a lot to tell you. We went a whole hour. Thanks for hanging in there and sticking with me. I hope it was helpful. Again, I think I was too ish on the carnivore ish, but that's okay. It was a good experiment. And um, this is just part of it. I definitely want to tell you that all of this kind of trial and error when it comes to that's just part of this kind of stuff. You know, you kind of have to go in when you're working on um, different health conditions or um, anything, you just kind of have to figure out what works for you. There's just no one set diet set answer for everybody. So always keep that in mind. Um, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a healthy and blessed week. And I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.